Hey there, travelers. I'm Isabella, and this is True Crime International. Well, hello. <laughs> it's uh it's been a minute. It's been it's been several minutes since I recorded. Um I have a feeling the audio probably isn't sounding great right now, and that's because I am recording this in my new room, in my new apartment, in my new city. So, yeah. Um, I've moved to Valencia. Well, first of all, I've returned to Spain and I've moved from the small town I was living in to uh, Valencia, which is Spain's third largest city. And I'm renting a room in a shared apartment. And so I don't really have very many uh, good options for recording as of right now. I'm going to try and figure something out. I might be able to set up a little recording space in my closet, but we'll see. Um, I'm really sorry that I haven't been around much these last couple months. Um, things got a little crazy in life as in some ways bad, in some ways good. Uh, basically the last episode that I recorded was the South Korea episode, which is now one of the best performing episodes ever on this podcast. So thank you for, uh, listening to it because it was, it was a hell of an episode to do in terms of all the research and then just the nature of the case and how devastating it was. Uh, it took a lot out of me. But when I started uh, the second season without Riley and Angelica, I didn't realize just how much extra work I was going to have to do for this podcast. So before um, the scripts that we wrote would be about five to seven pages or so, so an average of like six pages. But now by myself, uh, without other people here to uh, kind of uh, banter with, that's the word, banter, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult and my scripts need to be um, at least twice as long, but the uh, Sewell Ferry script was um, 20 something pages. So it takes a lot more time and energy to put together uh, this podcast, even if I'm not doing the editing myself anymore. And um, I got really overwhelmed by that. And when I recorded the Sewell Ferry, um, as you know, because I, I said it in the beginning of the episode, I was on vacation, I was in the Pacific Northwest, and I had planned to write the next script during that time. But then I just decided, you know, I deserved a vacation. I hadn't actually taken a proper vacation, like no work at all in well over two years. And I was so happy being back in the Pacific Northwest because I used to live there. And so I just decided to take the rest of the time. And I was like, you know what, it'll be fine. I'll get back to writing once I'm uh, back in Michigan. And then I returned to Michigan and things at my job at the time were really bad. Um, well, I say at the time, they didn't get better and I, I quit. I, I don't have my uh, stable income anymore. Now I'm freelancing, so my income has become uh, decidedly less stable. And then the last uh, few weeks I was in Michigan before returning to Spain, 
my boyfriend was able to come to the States for the first time from Spain, which was really special. And I just wanted to enjoy that. So between the stress of hating my job and applying for other jobs so I could quit my job that I hated and uh, looking for freelance work and then my boyfriend coming to my country, I, there was just no space for this uh, for this podcast. And I, I apologize for disappearing. And I'm not coming back on a weekly basis, uh, at least not yet. I would love to in the future, but I really can't... Um, I can't commit to that right now, especially since I've just started freelancing. So my my everything is a bit unstable right now. Uh, my income, the hours that I work, everything. Oh, that was a weird noise. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all kind of up in the air right now and all a bit unstable. But I do want to get back into the podcast in some way and in a way that's more sustainable because as it stands, I cannot write 20 something page scripts weekly. Oh my God. I will cry. Um, so what I have decided for this podcast uh, going forward is the following. Basically, the last two episodes that I did, which were the Congo and the Sewell Ferry, uh, though they were really difficult, I enjoyed putting them together and I enjoyed researching uh, those cases and learning about them. And I enjoyed creating a longer, more in-depth episode and I would like to continue to do that, um, going much deeper into my research and uh, learning about the specific cultures and how and and trying to go into further discussion about how those can influence uh, how the culture can influence cases and 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 all that jazz. Um, I mean, that's the whole idea of this podcast to begin with, isn't it? Uh, with those episodes, though I'm very proud of them, I definitely could have included more details, but I got overwhelmed by the length of the scripts and how long the episodes would be, and so I I would end up cutting them short or cutting out information that I felt wasn't super relevant or, you know, maybe was boring or I, I don't know. Um, but I enjoyed going deeper into these cases, and so... What I've decided going forward, and this probably won't start until uh, at least January, but I have a couple big things going on in January, uh, so maybe February. But what I've decided is to do one case per month, and I'll divide it into two episodes, maybe two 30-minute episodes, two 40-minute episodes, uh, two 50-minute episodes, depending on the case. And so that way, uh, it's less overwhelming. And it's more like doing a 10-page script a week as opposed to a 20-page script a week. Oh no, not even. It's like five pages a week at that point, which is even better. That's even less uh, overwhelming for me. And um, yeah, and and, and I'll, I'll do that. And yeah, so I'm planning to do one case per month divided into two episodes. Um, those episodes can be either back-to-back -back or there can be a week in between. I'm not really picky either way, honestly. I'm, I'll put a poll up on uh, the Instagram stories. So if you have an opinion, <laughs> you can go over to the Instagram stories today and uh, vote for which you think would be better. Would you rather have um, the two episodes be back to back the last two weeks of the month? Or would you rather have like a first and third week of the month or like a second and fourth week of the month sort of situation. Do you not care whatsoever? You're just happy to have uh, content. I'll put up a poll and, and you can tell me. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty much what I'm planning. And 
I think it's a good idea uh, just for myself and my own mental health and being a one woman show, <laughs> but also just for the betterment of the podcast. I think it'll be really nice uh, to have one case per month that is a lot more in depth and has much deeper discussions. Um, and I think it'll be much more enjoyable. And then I don't have to sacrifice any information, you know, like the more information, the better. And yeah, so I don't have a super long case to present to you guys today. Um, what I do have though, is an old layover that I wrote way back in the beginning of the summer that I never recorded. I was going to record it with Angelica, um, but then she ultimately left. And so the script has just kind of been hanging out. Um, if you are new here, layovers used to just be like short little episodes. Um, so that's what this will be is just a, a short little episode. Cause that's all I can give you right now. I literally arrived back in Spain yesterday after, you know, like a 16 hour journey to get back here. So I don't, I don't, I don't have anything, uh, of great value, like as in terms of, you know, super in-depth research. Um, but I can give you, I can give you a little case. And this is actually, uh, kind of the perfect time to do it because today's case is the Castellón killer. And that's really special to me. Well, special feels like a, an inappropriate word to use, but, uh, before moving to Valencia, I lived in Castellón for three years and uh, some of the activities of this killer happened in the small town where I was living. So really a very appropriate time to talk about it now that I'm now that I'm back in the area, even though I'm no longer living in that area. I only just moved to Valencia. It doesn't matter. You don't care. So the Castellón killer. I'm going to assume that most of you don't know, but Castellón is a province in Spain within the Valencian community. So there are 17 autonomous communities uh, in Spain. And then inside of each of those communities it are provinces. So though I'm living in Valencia now, the, the city, the entire time I've lived in Spain, I have lived in the Valencian community, just not in the city or province of Valencia before I was living in the province of Castellón, where the story today takes place. And Castellón is generally a fairly tight-knit province, especially, you know, the towns within uh, Castellón tend to be very tight-knit communities. So I asked my boyfriend if he had ever heard of uh, the Castellón killer, and I told him, you know, his name and uh, the name of, like, the nickname of the killer in Spanish, and he had never heard of him, which I found very surprising because I didn't even set out to look for this case. It wasn't even like someone told me about it. I just kind of stumbled upon it and then was really shocked to learn that my boyfriend who is from Castellón and has lived his entire life in Castellón hadn't heard of it. In my experience living in Spain, not very many people seem to like to talk about any horrible things that happen in their community. Like they'll discuss horrible things when they've first happened and then they're pretty much forgotten about until the next bad thing happens, which is when they'll bring up the last bad thing that happened. They really like to kind of forget. And maybe this is only true of Castellón. I'm not sure because I don't have much experience living other places in Spain, but that's been my experience. Actually, uh, a few months ago in my town, there was a murder-suicide in the town center literally five minutes from my old apartment. And 
I didn't really hear anyone talk about it. Like it happened in the center of the city in broad daylight. I was actually, I walked right by, uh, well, I walked on the very spot the uh, suicide occurred that morning. And like, that's so freaky. And I, I talked to my boyfriend about it and I heard a couple people here and there discussing it. But overall, like it was really just, it was really kind of swept under the rug, which was so shocking to me. And especially now, because um, I wrote this months ago, but that's even more surprising to me now because uh, I just had a tragedy in my own hometown. If you heard of the school shooting in Oxford, Michigan, well, I'm not from Oxford, but I have family in Oxford. I am in Oxford all the time. And I personally know people who go to the school. Uh, and I also know one of the teachers at Oxford High School, which just had that horrible school shooting. And the people I know are all okay physically, but no one has stopped talking about it since it happened. And this was, um, well, now at the time of recording, it wasn't even a week ago. So it's just, it's just so crazy to me that this murder-suicide happened in the center of uh, the old town I lived in. It's called Onda. Um, and no one really talked about it. And then, you know, a school shooting happens and it's it's national news. It's it's everywhere and no one can stop talking about it. The There's a huge cultural difference there. And it's something that's really surprising to me because when something big like that happens, it seems natural to want to talk about it. But in at least Onda and Castellón, it doesn't really seem to be the case. Those things just kind of get swept under the rug and people would rather not talk about it, would rather forget about it. Maybe it's scary to them. Uh, maybe it brings up other bad memories. I'm not sure. Um, but that's just something that I found very interesting, like a very interesting cultural difference. So who is the Castellón killer? His name is Joaquín Ferrandiz Ventura. But he goes by Chimo, which is a very common name for Joaquin's, or it's nickname for uh, the Joaquins in Spain. So if you ever meet someone named Chimo, or they call themselves Chimo, it's most likely a nickname for Joaquin. And our Chimo was born in 1963 in Valencia. His actual date of birth isn't public for some reason, uh, but we know he was the oldest of three siblings. And that's really all the information I was able to find about his childhood. So we're just going to dive straight into the crime. Chimo didn't start out as a serial killer. He actually started out as a serial rapist, which still awful, but uh, not quite as egregious as full-blown murder. His first rape that we know of was on August 6th, 1989, when he intentionally ran over an 18-year-old woman named Maria, uh, who was on her motorcycle. She wasn't fatally injured at all. She broke her ankle, so, you know, painful, but not life-threatening. And Jimo apologized profusely, pretending to care that he'd harmed this poor woman, and he invited her into his car so he could take her to the hospital. And not really seeing a good alternative in that moment, she went with him. And I can't say I blame her. I don't know if, especially at 18, I would have made any different decision, especially in 1989. It's not like she had a cell phone, you know? So what choice did she really have? But as you may have guessed, he didn't take her to the hospital. 
Instead, he drove to a quiet, secluded area where he raped her. After that, he drove her to the hospital where he dumped her at the entrance and sped off. But with so many witnesses, from Maria herself to other people on the road who saw her get hit, Chimo was soon identified and arrested, and he was sentenced to 14 years in prison for his crime. Now, when he got to prison, he was put into a cell with a man who had murdered his wife. And after Chimo's release, when he got to murdering himself, he actually copied what his cellmate had done. But more on that later. So Chimo's family believed that he had actually been falsely accused of his crime and thusly falsely imprisoned. So they advocated pretty hard for his release, and it took a few years, but in 1995, he was paroled because of the efforts of his friends and family, as well as his own good behavior while in prison. After he was released, he moved to Castellón de la Plana, which is the capital city of the province of Castellón, where he moved into his mom's house and got a job at a car insurance company. In later interviews, his colleagues described Chimo as polite, charming, and, quote, absolutely normal, unquote. And during the week, he was a completely normal guy on the surface, but he began hatching plans of how he wanted to spend his weekends. Through his years in prison, his thoughts had become a lot more violent, and the memories of what his cellmate had done to his wife loomed in Shimo's mind. He began to spend his weekends stalking the busy party areas of the province, and in Castellón, there are several because it's right on the Mediterranean Sea. And it was at one of the most touristy beach towns, Benicassim, that Chimo found his first victim, Sonia Rubio Arufat. Sonia was a 25-year-old English teacher who had been out enjoying a night of clubbing with her friends. At 5am on July 2nd, 1995, she left the club and parted ways with her friends, preparing to walk the one kilometer to her apartment. For my American listeners, or my US listeners, one kilometer, that's that's barely 10 minutes. If like if that, it's less than a mile. It's such a quick walk. It's 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 like just down the road. It's a couple of blocks. It's not far. But she never made it home. Instead, she went missing. And she was missing for 5 months before her body was found on a road between Benicassim and Oropesa del Mar, a road I have been on myself. She was half-dressed and had duct tape covering her mouth and tying her hands together. Now, I'm unsure of her cause of death because the Garia Civil hasn't released that information as far as I could tell um, during their investigation or after. Like, I couldn't find it anywhere. Not in Spanish, not in English, nowhere. The next victim, well, the next victim to make the news was 22-year-old Amelia Sandra Garcia. And just like with Sonia, Amelia was last seen leaving a club, this time in Castellón de la Plana, in the early hours of the morning in September 1996. Her body wasn't found until March of 1997 in a pond in Onda, where I used to live. Amelia's death was immediately linked to Sonia's because she was found in the exact same condition with the duct tape binding her hands together and covering her mouth. And with a second death, the authorities were certain that the killer would strike again. And strike again he did. In February 1998, Shimo tried to pull off the same attack he'd done on the motorist in 1989, 
because that had been so successful. And the victim in this attack remains anonymous because she was able to get away from Chimo by biting his finger. She immediately went to the police and she was able to give a full description of the attack, the attacker, and even part of his license plate. The Garia Civil took that info, identified Chimo, and started following him. They noticed that he spent an awful lot of time walking around Los Cipreses in Castellón, which is an area with a bunch of bars and restaurants and clubs and all that jazz, very lively at the weekends. He acted super weird walking around that area, like he was trying to get people to notice that he was a damn serial killer. He rarely went into any of the establishments and spent most of his time following different women, stalking them and trying to scope out his next victim. This confirmed to the authorities that he wasn't killing people he knew, instead finding random women, following them and waiting for an opportunity to strike. He attempted his last attack in July 1998. He slashed a woman's tires before she left a club and then he followed her in his car. However, they didn't make it very far, because with a super flat tire, she soon crashed into a car in a non-fatal accident, which was witnessed by two plain-clothed officers, who then arrested Chimo upon recognizing him. While Chimo was in custody, the authorities searched his home and they found the exact roll of duct tape used to tie up Sonia three years before. I don't know how they identified it, but they did. But my real question is, why did he still have it? Like, you couldn't use up a whole roll of duct tape in three years? Or you couldn't at least just toss it in the garbage, never to be found? Because that was the real nail in the coffin for him. Initially, Chimo confessed to raping Sonia and Amelia, but he denied having anything to do with their deaths. However, by October, he had confessed to not only Sonia and Amelia's murders, but also the murder of three sex workers. Their names were Natalia Archelo Solaria, who was 24, Mercedes Vélez Alaya, who was 18, and Francisca Salas León, who was 24. Their bodies were already skeletons when they were found in a riverbed in Villarreal in 1996. The deaths of the three women had been linked to one another, but not to Chimo's crimes. In fact, a truck driver had already been arrested and tried by the time Chimo confessed. While in custody, Chimo underwent a psych evaluation and he was officially declared a psychopath. The trial began in December 1999 and the prosecution requested that Chimo receive 163 years without the possibility of parole and a fine of 200 million pesetas, which was the currency before the euro. The prosecution also asked that the state be found partially responsible for the deaths of the five women for failing to keep Chimo under proper surveillance after his release from prison in 1995. The trial was relatively short and ended on January 14, 2000 when Chimo was found guilty of one count of negligence resulting in injury, one count of attempted rape, and five counts of murder, garnering him 69 years in prison without the possibility of parole and a fine of 130 million pesetas to be split among the victims' families. However, the court acquitted the state of all charges, which is stupid. But unfortunately, that is... That's it. Like, there's, this is where the story really ends. I don't know if the families ever got that money. 
and I couldn't find any death information on Chimo, so I'm assuming he's still alive and in prison not too far from where I currently am. Uh, I wish I had more details for this story, especially since it's so local to me now. And I also wish I could have given you a longer case after, you know, so much time away, but I'm happy I could at least give you something. And uh, I hope you're happy with it. And I look forward to coming back more regularly in 2022. I'm really sorry for all the time I spent away without explanation. I just could not bring myself to record with everything going on. There were other things that I didn't mention that are more personal. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's it for today. I will see you in 2022 with really awesome, long, in-depth cases. I wish you all the happiest of holidays. Have a safe new year. Uh, be safe out there with, you know, this new variant get the booster shot. Yes, I believe in vaccines. If you don't and that pisses you off, <laughs> too bad. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go probably watch 90 Day Fiance the other way because that's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> oh, I'm rambling. Okay. Um, I hope you learned something new today and I hope you enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International. Bye. <laughs>